Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 37, Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman is a, a, I guess, a former Punchline guy. That's how I met him originally, back when uh, we were both writing for Punchline, and he has since moved to Manhattan and uh, started a career as a comedian and was also hosting a variety show which he talks about in here and has been on the moth radio hour telling stories and has also been on this american life and uh he's uh, one of us one of these expats one of these people who get the hell out of here and go up to new york and uh seems like he's staying there there's often many of us that go up and we come back that's what I did. I went up there for a while, back in the day, for about four years. I didn't do anything particularly constructive. I got a pretty good habit going, and uh, then I pulled a geographical. Didn't really do me any good, but it was a great experience. Glad I lived up there. Glad I had a chance to try that whole dream out. But, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot, I think, to people who have left here and um, people who have contemplated leaving here and I'm always like you know talking about these opinions of Richmond which I guess I know that some people have and we've talked about and stuff but I I really got to maybe fess up and say you know what I'm really coming up against what I'm talking about a lot are my attitudes attitudes I've had in the past about this town then attitudes I've got about my own trajectory of trying to go other places like New York and Southern California and in Minnesota and these other places and winding up back here. I mean, it's not like when I left New York, it wasn't like some victorious return to Richmond. I mean, as a friend of mine once said, it was like I got kicked out of New York. So, I mean, I'm, I guess my shit's colored by that. But um, I also, you know, legitimately think it doesn't matter where you are. If you're going to be good at something, you're going to succeed at it. In this day and age, you can do it just about anywhere except, you know, Maybe someplace completely geographically isolated, but we're not here in Richmond. I mean, I just kind of, I guess I'm, I'm really for the idea of stop looking at limitations based on where you live and whether or not there's a cool scene here or not. And just kind of do your thing. And I, I do think that it's better when there's not some scene you're trying to conform to and there's not some really big pressure of a marketplace and all of that. There's more likely to foster creativity. Speaking of a scene, by the way, there's a bunch of kids having a house party right down the street. Just moved in, already acting like they own the place. Fucking bunch of crusty little kids out there, some loud-ass music. Um, Tempted to go over there and see what's going on. They probably think I'd be the creepy old man. But, uh, yep, they've come to Cedar Street. We're we're all chilling here on Union Hill. Had a little murder down the street last week. Maybe three, four blocks away where they're building that new apartment building. And that somewhat disrupted my overall attitude or feeling about the place that it's really gotten pretty chill. I mean, despite the fact there was gunfire on New Year's Eve. Um, this part of Churchill is not a part I would have set foot in when I was a kid, but it's pretty seems pretty alright up here now. And in general, I guess I have been... I mean, my job takes me all over the greater Richmond area, and I've been driving into parts of 
Churchill and parts of the East End, Nine Mile Road, Mechanicsville, all sh- places I've just never been before and um, really just sort of assumed was kind of a wasteland and wasn't much point going there. And it's really kind of wild to see these vestiges of Richmond's history. Like, you know, for some reason people built little town centers in various areas that are just totally blighted and nobody gives a shit about them anymore. There are these old movie theaters, old schools, old buildings. Um, it's kind of romantic in a way, you know, and and it's kind of interesting what's springing up in these places that have long been abandoned and neglected by the basic, you know, kind of honky middle class status quo that left a long time ago. Um, you know, to go around town and find, I don't know, this is the Urban Farmhouse is opening up a third location on 30th Street in the Lava Building, which used to be an elementary school over there, kind of near Shimbarazo Boulevard, and... And there's Korean places in town. There's Vietnamese. I've been Vietnamese places, but there's Vietnamese places. There are Thai places. There's um, you know all of these different kinds of uh, you know Muslim type places from different parts of the Muslim kingdom. You know whether it's Egyptian or Arab or whatever. I don't know what the fuck you refer to this. Fuck it. But I'm just finding incredibly eclectic uh, ethnicity all over this the greater Richmond area as I travel around and it's really interesting to me you know, how people are inhabiting what a lot of people have decided they don't care about anymore you know there's a Central American club over on Midlothian Turnpike in an old hotel used to be a nightclub there and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this it's really interesting but uh, anyway I'm running out of music and shit to say so let's get into Jeff Zimmerman I'm going to go ahead and just start it because okay. I, I like that, you know, yeah. just rolling in yeah. thing. Uh, how long have you been back here? In Richmond? Yeah. Uh, um, I have been back here almost a year. I can't, Actually, it's a year today. Really? Yeah. I nice. didn't realize that. This is when I came back um, last, uh, uh, last year. I, I flew back right mm-hmm. around then, did Christmas, and then I went up and spent a month in Alexandria oh, nice. training. Training? What are you doing? What are you doing? Retraining then I was uh, training to manage a meat department for Restaurant Depot. Oh, okay. And now, um, now I'm a field marketing representative for Restaurant Depot, and I just oh, okay. finished training for that. And I was up in your neck. Oh yeah. Of the woods. I was up in New York earlier this week. Oh okay. Oh, but I was stuck in Flushing, oh, which yeah. is aptly named. Yeah. Although, oh my God! Look, next time you're, are you going to be back to Flushing? I'll. Bill probably have me up there for some other. That's where our mothership is, our corporate headquarters. Are you there? Are you going to be it's there? College for, Point. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I worked for Time Warner Cable until three weeks ago. We had a huge um, depot out in College Point. Really? Yeah. And um, like all the trucks and everything were all out of College Point. I was staying in a Fairfield Inn by Marriott that yeah. was like right next to a big lot that looked like it was full of cherry pickers and shit like that. Do Could they have, have their own stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. They got all this yeah. stuff. Well, you know, they also... Um, Look, next time you're coming to Flushing, give me give me like a, a week head up. Okay. My wife speaks Mandarin fluently. Oh yeah. And you can get the best Chinese food in the world apart from China. That's what Flushing. my my sister was yeah. like trying to go to a Chinese restaurant when we were up there. Is that microphone? That's totally yeah. on, right? It, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anything about this. Why don't you? Uh, I thought you were a stage performer. You should know. I am. Yeah, I do. I focus on what goes. Just in, put peek at that, the front of it, and just peak? tell me peek. Like no, that? I mean like look at uh, peak okay. as in is that you see the word on showing there? <laughs> oh, You're just yeah. quiet. I think. Oh yeah, I do that sometimes. 
I get quiet. And I can't help but be loud. I'm just mm. a loud mouth. You're a loud mouth, baby. Yeah. You better shut it up. Yeah, but if you're going to come up to flush end, man, give me, give me, because like, she, it'd be hard for us to do during the week, but we love to go to flush, flushing and have. Uh, you didn't do that. I didn't do it on purpose. Because <laughs> I was going to say brunch and flushing, and I crossed them. Flushing. Yeah. But, Best uh, Chinese food is in flushing. But. Or if you just want like a list of recommendations, let me know. Because like yeah. there's one, we went to one place, this banging place. It was in the basement of like a, a Marriott in mm-hmm. Flushing. Mm-hmm. But you just you just sort of know where to go, and you can just get incredible. Lucy, stuff. my sister. Do you know my sister, Lucy? Have you ever met her? She lives in no. Manhattan. No. Ah, we'll have to. She's in town now. Maybe we'll yeah. have to make the connect um yeah. she was trying to come out there to take me to a chinese restaurant yeah and this the weather was bad enough that uh-huh. it's not so much that you can't get around but you don't want to walk around and yeah, yeah slushy yeah. so i just stayed in the yeah. damn hotel room the whole time uh, i was up there i could do that so i i know that we were both involved with punchline yeah. back in the late 90s uh-huh but i don't remember what you did i wrote for him what'd you write Oh, I started writing art reviews, and then I felt real bad about art, like criticizing art, mm-hmm. because um, I criticized this lady's art that I really didn't like. I mm-hmm. mean, I will go ahead and say I was true to myself. I, I didn't like her art. Right. But then, and then she got mad, and she wrote a mad letter to Punchline about it, and I read it, and I really hurt her feelings. And I was, and then I was like, well, who the hell am I to? Um, be talking about anybody whether anybody's art is anything like mm-hmm. when in fact like what do i expect her to do just not make art like mm-hmm. curl up and die i would much rather i'd much rather hang out with a bunch of shitty artists than a bunch of people that are real good at finance mm-hmm. you know so <laughs> who am i to say and i just felt bad about it and so i started writing you know stories uh i would investigate stories or i would just write columns or like journalism just, type stories yeah yeah mm-hmm. journalism stuff and then I, or i would write but not fiction, or were you writing? I wrote a fi- one, I think the one fiction thing I ever did did run in Punchline, and people seemed to enjoy it. And um, Pete told me actually after he it was one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard. Uh, he was like, "If you do not work on becoming a writer after this, you will really be wasting a gift." You know, he never said that to me. Oh well. <laughs> hey man, we, we, many many des- one destination, many paths. Man. Yeah, you know. You know? Uh, I I came back like when I when I was writing for Punchline I had just come back from New York yeah, yeah and I had the attitude that people needed to be prepared to be insulted about their art mm-hmm. that that was going to happen yeah if they wanted to put shit out there that they yeah. needed to start getting that and I wasn't doing it mean spirited I was yeah. like this was the biggest shock to my system of going to Manhattan mm-hmm. was how freely people offered their opinions and they didn't. It seemed to be the assumption was if you're making music or you're making art or you're making mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. you are inviting that. Yeah. And, and so then you have to decide, does that person's opinion matter right. or not? You know, and like, um, and, and am I doing it for them? You yeah. know, did I, I mean, am I going to stop making art because Jeff Zimmerman said it sucked, you mm-hmm. know, and all of that. But I, I mean, I totally, I'm not, that's not to um, disagree with your oh. choice there. I just, it's a. I mean, that's, that's one true. of the things about being an artist in Richmond, mm. I mean, is that it seems like you've maybe in some ways can't handle, like have decided not to ha- handle that, you know? Yeah. Not, and, and like, you know, if your friends like you mm-hmm. and your friends come to your art show or your band, yeah, that's good enough. And even if they don't like you, they'll come right. and like your music, they'll come and be supportive. And you never find out if 
what you're communicating is yeah yeah i mean i don't know again so all of this everything that i'm about to say uh, do you do you edit this thing no okay so anybody that listens to the rest of this podcast needs to hear this modifier that would apply to everything i say going Uh forward which is like this is my perception of how it worked for me you know i don't want to be in the position of telling people where they should live at or what they should do or why how that what their makes their art more or less valid right but one of the things that i found here for myself and the reasons I end up leaving is that I was like, you know, I have an appetite to do more of it and grow more than the current city and infrastructure can support. Right. And you can be a really awesome band and only ever play in Richmond. Yeah. Like, you know, you can do that here indefinitely and that's, that's working great for the Or you can be Lamb of God or... Yeah. The biggest metal band in the world. Yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> but, you know, you but there's a but like nobody is going to tell you to your face you need to tighten this up. You right. know what I mean? Or you need to like you can look out and you can have a good show of 100 people and know 60 of them and they, as long as you don't play every week they'll come. Right. And uh for me So you wanted like, to get that um that that like the honest like objective criticism uh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, well, I just was like, well, how much of a local superhero do you want to do? Mm-hmm. I want to be, you know. And I just constantly, I just craved bigger stuff, and it, it really broke my heart to see cool stuff like Punchline would could it flourish for a couple of years, and then would eventually collapse under the weight of a dominant like conservative. But that's not what happened. What. That isn't why Punchline well, I know. collapsed. There was, other, there was other stuff. <laughs> there was bad ma- financial management. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and people made a lot of very short-sighted, because these weren't good business people involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were either one or the other. Right. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, Punchline was was actually embraced by the uh, audience that uh-huh. was reading it, but the... Uh, it was running at a deficit, yeah, you yeah. know, for what money was going out and what money was coming in, and people weren't good at selling ads, and people weren't good at mm-hmm. managing that money and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. But Richmond didn't crush Punchline. Punchline crushed Punchline, right? You know. But what I guess what I'm saying is that, um, like, you know, I had a landlord, for example, who would dress up in Civil War battle gear mm-hmm. on Martin Luther King's birthday and uh-huh. march around Robert E. Lee's statue. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and like stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. I was just like, that's, that shit just wins too much. Sometimes well, yeah, well, it, for me, for me, you know, it's again, there, but you me. know, if you're yeah. in New York, that guy is a crazy person walking down the street. That yeah. is just another of the many crazy people that you just don't give that much airtime to. Right. But you I know, you don't care. Rent. Right. <laughs> you see what I mean? So, like that guy gets my money. Right. Here, right. And, and I have to like, kiss his ass in order to live yeah. in New York I can just walk you yeah, know what I'm saying yeah I mean yeah. I, I'm of one of those people that made the decision to live there for a while mm-hmm. and what, what drove me was I think there was a feeling that this didn't count what was going on in Richmond but I you know I've seen since seen that I went to New York and what motivated me I mean it was easier to get things going with people people were a little less blocked Mm. from taking action like I, I started a band there i started mm. playing music there mm. and i was not yeah. able to do that here because people were just kind of you know it, I, I don't know maybe yeah. maybe it's just a change of venue is that like people there didn't not see me as a musician right and here people just saw me a certain way and i let that win mm. and so new york provided more opportunities that way but it 
Um, it also provides a whole lot more. I mean, I can't name a whole lot of great bands coming out of New York nah, right now either. No, you can't because it's you too know, expensive. It's too expensive to have a practice space and mm-hmm. all that kind of shit. But there's also this rampant competition that is so sped up and, and it's so it removes a lot of the wonder from art and creating art. Like I worked for a record label up there and people were already over something a month before it actually had street date. Yeah. You yeah. know? And already hating on it. And and there's this entire culture of hating on shit. Um the critical culture that you're you know, yeah. really that you're talking about is I mean, but there are people that's all they do mm-hmm. and um, and it's accelerated to a degree that it isn't even relevant to anybody else that isn't in that world. Yeah. But it's passed off all over the goddamn country as if it's relevant to somebody who isn't. They're not jaded. Yeah. I'm not. I don't have. You know, most record reviewers are sitting there with towering piles of CDs on mm-hmm. their desks. That's not the average person. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, so, you know, I don't. Rather than. I don't want to do you know take it and into no live. disclaimers anymore, man. Yeah. I, you're, you're you, you're yeah. on here. I'm me. I'm on here. We're just putting it out there. Yeah, so, I know. You know. I'm just I'm just saying like I, I just don't like to be the the person who I don't like to be the finger point guy. Yeah, but people can t- yeah. p- pick know, and choose you, what they think of your opinion. Y- yeah, I know, you but know? that's also this is also I'm being me because I I was uncomfortable being an art critic for the same yeah. reason. That, yeah, that same guy gave you the disclaimer, but I just you know what generally I just have always had this passion to to make art and or music or just create what it may, you know, art as a subset of like whatever the fuck comes out of me mm-hmm. and just get it out there as much as I can. Right. And if I think that there's something going on that's kind of blocking the pipe, I'm going to get that thing out of the pipe mm-hmm. or I'm going to move mm-hmm. into a situation where I can let it come out of the pipe sure. more because you know, there's tiny scenes and there's clicks in New York and, and Shit, anywhere yeah. else. And I just don't like to be like, if I feel I, I like to be respected and like to feel like people like my stuff. But if I feel like, a big fish in a small pond, I get kind of uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I just want to keep growing. I'll grow to fill whatever tank I'm in, yeah. And eventually, I get maybe I, you know, collapse under my own weight. We'll see. But um, and I totally relate to yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah. So I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate as a guy that's. Yeah. I went out there and then and went a couple yeah. of other places and came back here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a you great know? place. Like when every time mm-hmm. I come back, I'm like, oh man, there's so much here that I didn't appreciate. That uh, you know, and it feels like a home. There's a community here. Yeah. You know, um, I feel more like socially integrated here often than I do in, in up, up there. Um, so you, know. you, what you're doing up there is what I've gleaned and I still haven't checked it out. I'm sorry to say, no, that's okay. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's storytelling slash like a comedy yeah, thing. Yeah, is, stand up, stand up and storytelling. So you are, and I am not lying is that a one umbrella and then there's other stuff or is that your main that's my thing that's me that I control and run I produce it book it promote it star in it and what do you talent. book for that it's burlesque it's a variety show it's burlesque stand up storytelling and then just other stuff if there's somebody that wants to eat a light bulb or do bullwhip and lasso tricks or we'll get a band and cuz I just like I want to create a whole evening, you know what I mean? A whole, or just the whole, one of the things I, I discovered is that while you're trying to find yourself artistically, a lot of times you're trying to find yourself artistically and other people, if they're not connecting, one of the reasons they're not connecting to you is they don't have a context to put you in. People mm-hmm. like a box. 
Yeah. So, you know, and they like, and they want to find the best thing in that box. And half the time it's so they can ignore a whole bunch of shit rather than investigate. Right. But they're just like, <laughs> how do I, how does this come to come to me? Who are mm-hmm. you? What have you done? Right. What is this going to do for me? Why should I devote this much of my time right. to you? And so when I put the show together, um, and I had some co-producers and when we put the show together, um, they were not, um, my, my verb tenses are fucked up cause we're not working together anymore, but, right. but we put the show together. It was just like, well, let's create the context that allows for everybody to be at their best. Mm-hmm. And that says, well, you know what? If you don't like this, stick around. You're going to see that. You know, yeah. if you don't like my storytelling as I'm trying to figure out how to hybridize it with stand up. stick around some, you know, you're going to see boobs or yeah. like if you don't like female burlesque where you're going to see male burlesque or if you don't like that. So it's a not band. a whole show, the same dish and people get to cleanse their palate here and there. And right. like, yeah, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's something different every act. So, mm-hmm. so you just want to keep people on their toes and, and what, and what the way that it's worked for me, I think as a performer is I have create a create my own context, you know, like, so Instead of like just instead of just being a band that you know plays a show plays shows and puts out records, I've tr- kind of created a genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's also a very old form of entertainment. I mean, this sure. is what entertainment was before TV. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing it. I really hate like must like mustachy um, vaudeville throwback right. people. Mm-hmm. Like not hate them as people, but I just hate the like. I don't. I don't like to. It's not a history project. Right. But look, comedy was a thing that the guy did when he brought up the dancing girls and right. then the and then the music act and then tell a had, joke or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is that. And um, and then I, I like to kind of tweak it more. Like there's a growing male burlesque boylesque scene in New York. And I, so I like to boylesque. Bring, yeah. I like to bring those guys up. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to be in a situation where it's talking dudes and stripping women. Yeah. You know, yeah. like so I'll have female stand ups and male burlesque performers. And I just want it to be known like hey, hey, I don't know I know one of the five things I'm gonna see and I like that and then cross pollinate. Like I love I always have always loved the cross pollinate. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. like uh, I like to cook without a recipe. Mm-hmm. I like it when things get all mixed up and and um, it's a it's a And you have to get people thing. to trust you as the chef or as the curator or and, yeah. and so, like, they're going to say, okay, so I may not know this thing, but I know Jeff, yeah. and I know this guy's going to show me something worth seeing. Right, right. right. And mm-hmm. so it's a way – and also, look, as a as an emerging comic, like, I've only been doing – I've been doing s- storytelling for, like, f- coming up on six years. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing st- – st- studying and trying to practice the discipline of stand-up. Now what's the difference between storytelling and stand-up to you? And are uh, they – um, they're, they are, it's maddening because they are two sides of the same coin, but also very far apart from each other as mm-hmm. far as expectation goes. Cause yeah, look, you're using your mouth to tell somebody about a thing that happens. Standups right. do that. Storytellers do that. And many sta- of the best standups are some of the best storytellers, right. Cosby, CK, you know, what have you. And I'm listening to the moth yesterday yeah. and every story that was told on there was delivered the guys, the people telling these stories were, I mean, even if it was the neurologist mm-hmm. who's talking about it, he discovered that he was a psychopath. Yeah. It was hilarious. And you know, a whole bunch of beats he hit, you know, and all of this stuff that mm-hmm. was, it, it's indistinguishable. It, except the one thing I think about storytelling maybe is that it's always one theme. And comedy yeah. is. Well, with when you tell a story like as a moth style story, right. they have, 
they and like this American life and in radio, you know, stories for radio and stories in general follow uh, an arc. There's right. a beginning, you meet a middle, an end. You change along the way. There are stakes to over. Right. There are high right. stakes. There are there's a time that you change. There are consequences. Right. There are characters, versus. So it's it, it's a, it is one story. It's a narrative, right? Right. Okay. And uh-huh. you go along, and then with a joke, like like look at Mitch Hedberg, one right. of the best stand-ups ever. But right. it's just like, I would say Mitch Hedberg and Stephen Wright are your classic joke stand-ups, or it's right. Like, yeah. Set yeah. up punchline. Set up punchline. So yeah. you will. So you're not. You don't. Mitch Hedberg doesn't leave the stage, and you know more about Mitch Hedberg right. than when he showed up. Right. But. So and there's a lot in audience expectation. So when you know you're going to a storytelling show, you've sort of by buying that ticket and sitting in that seat, you've passively agreed that you're going to wait one minute, two minutes, or you may not even laugh at all. Right. Whereas with a comedy show, if it's been called comedy, you're expecting laughs within right. 30 seconds. And one of the worst performing experiences I ever had that was the most educational that like really set me on this path mm-hmm. was I thought, oh, I'll tell funny stories as a host at a stand-up show at Caroline's on Broadway and it'll be fine. It's funny. That's funny. How's it different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, way different. And I bombed so hard. And it, I like within 30 seconds, it was apparent to everybody in the room that I was not going to do well and, and this was a bad call ah. and I just had to dig it out and like so people, I saw people, people on dates like not get late when you're when you're telling <laughs> when you're telling a story uh-huh. you've and an audience knows that you're there to tell a story mm-hmm. they are meeting you more than halfway and they're going to let you set stuff up they're let you do some exposition mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff they're and they're going to fill in some of that they've invoked yeah. their imagination and they're they're on board with mm-hmm. you, but if you show up at a comedy thing where they are expecting jokes, and you try to give them all that exposition and all of that, they are going to be like, "Fuck you! I didn't come here for no, that." No, right. Even if they're not consciously doing that, they're right. not prime. The pump's not prime for exposition. Right. Yeah. And the problem, the stakes for you as a performer started a week ago when they learned about the show right. and said, "Oh, honey, look, there's a comedy show in the city tonight." Let's call the babysitter. Yeah. They called the babysitter. They bought the tickets. Right. They dealt with the bullshit two drink minimum. They bought the crappy food. And all of that just goes into like better be funny, better be funny, better be funny. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And then if you're not, the fuck you is bigger and bigger too. So you were were successful telling stories, right? Yeah. And what made you want to uh, alter your reason for standing up there with the mic in your hand and present this other thing well there's all this stuff that you come up with that is relevant or or insightful or says something or it's just fun I like at a very base level it's just fun to make people laugh i right. love it you know and there's all these great laughs or great jo- jokes or great stories and you know anecdotes that don't fit into a bigger narrative right well what am i going to do with that mm-hmm. and i you know i love comedy and I mean, where I, you know, when I lived in Williamsburg, I could just roll right down the street and see Hannibal Burris's weekly stand-up show, mm-hmm. and it's like the best stand-ups going. Like, I was at one show, and Dimitri Martin and Robin Williams just dropped wow, in. Wow, wow. And you can, and then I know people, and then I was meeting stand-ups who were trying them off, and you would see stand-ups who were 
not very good at being storytellers because they couldn't let go of the need to get a laugh. Yeah. And patiently set it up. Yeah. And let themselves. And when you do comedy, you build. Many people build a version of themselves and it's an armor and you operate at a remove and you might be like that thing is fucked up and you point at it and you right at it and it's right. a, it's a room it's a distance and the best storytellers completely close that distance and right. say this is me this is how i was vulnerable yeah and you know really great comics can be really i mean what makes louis so great is he's so vulnerable and he's, yeah, he's doing both he's like that thing is fucked up and i have it inside me yeah yeah so well, that's but, you, know, you know, but 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 it's a mix. Yeah. You know, and and so I was bombing as a storyteller, and then I was like, well, let me learn jokes. Let me learn how to do this. I got to learn how to do it because I, again, I just got to the point where I was like, I'd gotten a, sh- a story on This American Life, which was awesome. I remember hearing that. And I'd gotten a story on the Moth podcast, which was awesome. And then to go to a Moth Slam in New York, you got to wait 90 minutes in line just to even get a seat. Wow, it's a whole deal, and like a whole to get a seat as an audience member. Yeah. Uh huh. So you can you can buy tickets online. They have a couple advanced tickets, mm-hmm. but like I just developed all these friendships from waiting in line for an hour and a half, and we'd be like working on our notes like in the rain, and like talking and and whatever. And then you get in there, and then you may not get picked, and you have like what we call story blue balls. Mm-hmm. And you just go home, and you and at least you, you focus on your it. Story. Yeah, mm-hmm. or you get picked, and you get picked first, and you tell the story, and the audience wasn't warmed up, and you did fine, but they weren't ready for you, so you get a bad score in the competition, and then it's kind of not cool to to tell that story at the moth again for about a year. Do mm. you let it? So you kind of burned it, and I was like, I just want to do this all the time. How can right. I do this all the time? And so I just started getting more and more into stand up. Yeah. Well, the thing that strikes me as you're telling me this, I agree with these. Yet, I mean, for me, like, I didn't like stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to the point where I got really sick of people tr- trying to be funny, mm-hmm. and that uh, most of what they were doing to be funny was pointing at shit and saying, "Not only is this lame, but this human being is beneath yeah. all of us in the room." Yeah, you yeah. know, this person is stupid or lame or whatever the fuck. Mm. And for some reason, I tended to identify with whoever the hell they were yeah. mocking. Yeah. And um, and it got to be a really uncomfortable yeah. experience for me. Like I, I couldn't even watch these Judd Apatow and all of these other whoever made uh, McKay did he made Old School with um I don't know. I never saw it. Like I can't even watch it. It's not funny to me what yeah. happens to yeah. Will Ferrell in that movie. That's uh-huh. not hilarious. That's like mm-hmm. oh my god, that poor fucking guy mm-hmm. totally lost control of his life. Well, that's your and, thing. Is you're a very empathetic dude. Right. Right. You know. But on the flip side, when I started listening to Mark Marin talk to comedians, mm-hmm. I realized that all of these guys were fucked up. Mm-hmm. And they are the people they're making fun of. Mm-hmm. And like this remove you're talking about, mm-hmm. like um, this is, the, you know, they need to do this because they are so insecure, a mm-hmm. lot of them, mm-hmm. you know, not all of them. But, but this is, you know, really driven by something I relate to, mm-hmm. you know. So then I can go, oh, okay, so what they're putting into this comedy shit is mm-hmm. the same thing that I appreciate when people are trying to tell a story that's inclusive, that gets people to recognize like what Louis does. Like yeah. 
make the connection between yourself and laugh at recognition instead of laugh and mockery. Right. You know? And so I was able to then go and, mm. and watch po- comedy and listen to comedy and see that, mm. you know, there are a lot of people doing a lot of different things, you mm. know, like Dimitri Martin and, and Mitch Hedberg are doing one thing mm. and Louis C.K. is doing another and fucking go back and go with Bill Hicks. I mean, somebody showed me a Bill Hicks thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to do with comedy. Right. He's talking about the d- difference between the, like, he's talking Buddhist shit. He's yeah. up there, you know, revealing, like, <laughs> revealing the ultimate nature of reality as a mm-hmm. ride, mm-hmm. you know. And so then I realized, oh, wow, comedy can be all of these things. It's the flip side of tragedy. And right. those two masks are side by side in the classic thing so yeah um, you know i mean in comedy you can do whatever you want as long as people laugh every couple seconds and that has what it makes it comedy <laughs> yeah but they can also in the process of being of laughing get upset and angry mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I mean, there's all the different kinds of depending and, on who you are and you, know, you can't control like, i mean you know this as a musician or as as a person as a writer or anything you can't control all you can take responsibility for is like what you put out there like like you can take responsibility for what you say. Right. You can't re- take responsibility for what they hear. Right. Like like I didn't put all the shit in your brain that made you think that. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying this, and then it's your job. Right. And I met a guy, um, a good friend of mine, old friend of mine from Norfolk, married a guy who's doing very well for himself in music in Hollywood right now. Uh, he scored Donnie Darko, uh-huh. so he did Mad World that right. way. Right. And um. And there's also he's in this jam band called the Gray Boy All Stars. Mm-hmm. Not my scene. Yeah. Not my music. Yeah. yeah. Not my people. Not my crowd. And we were talking about that. And I was like, How do you get a like? Because he, he's not like hippie guy, like like Trustafarian dude. And he was like, Listen, man, I realized, you know, one early on, I'll, I'll never forget this. He was like, You know, you can you can do it any number of ways, and you can like be all cool and play to the same. 200 people who share your sensibility and and that's your crowd and then you have a job and that's your thing but he's like for me i want to play music the way i want to play music and i if they like it they like it i don't care who they are and and you just get to this point where you're like if you really want to be a pro like you take anybody that wants to like you is good enough. Right. They bought the ticket, they bought the album, they want to rock out. You're rocking them. You're making your living rocking them. Then do it. Don't look back. You know. Yeah. Well, so. you know, there's something that, uh, I mean, f- and I was younger than you probably. I think when I went to Manhattan, I'm not sure. Like, how yeah. old were you when you went up there? Oh, hang on. I'm 37 now. Let me subtract. Like 30. Seven. How long seven. you been there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it now? It's 2013. I moved there in 2007. So. Whatever that is. Six years. Yeah, yeah. I went up there when I was 23. Uh-huh. And I was convinced that, mm-hmm. you know, New York was just basically better than Richmond. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and like, I, I mean, Richmond, had, they'd already taken away the things that I liked about Richmond, mm-hmm. was, which was the downtown. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I went on a painting and printmaking bus trip and yeah. I got to be in a downtown again. That yeah. felt like that, but, yeah. you know, bigger. And it was the whole big fish, yeah. you know, yeah. thing. Like, I need a big enough tank. Uh-huh. I want enough skyscrapers surrounding my head uh-huh. that I feel excited and thrilled. Yeah, yeah. But what happened to me up there mm-hmm. is I got really particular about my tribe. Yeah. You know, and I, it's like that island is Survivor mm-hmm. Island. Mm-hmm. And you've got to form alliances and get in this tribe. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just crushed by uh, the lumpen mm-hmm. proletariat, yeah. mass, you know, whatever. And and so recognizing the members of your tribe, do they have the right fucking colors on their face, the yeah. right paint and all yeah, that. It's yeah. really important, you know, uh-huh. like 
Eric, I mean, my best friend Eric and I, who's actually coming down here, it's him over there. He and I were totally, I mean, we had some serious rules mm-hmm. about like who was cool, who got it, who knew mm-hmm. what was up, mm-hmm. and who didn't. And mm-hmm. we really disregarded mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, and part of this is being in your mid 20s. Oh, yeah. Because you know? yeah, yeah. um, I, I lived here in my mid 20s and was doing the same thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and for me, like what you're talking about, that guy, yeah. is I start, the more connections I make, the more I listen to other people talk mm. on podcasts mm. and I have access to all of these internal lives, mm. yeah. I realize, wow, you know, these cultural divisions I'm making are petty. Yeah. You know, fashion is fascism. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm assuming that this guy who likes to go to Carrie Street Cafe and listen to jam bands is a shithead and a mm-hmm. dork and a loser mm-hmm. and has nothing, there's nothing about him I can be friends with because yeah. he's not wearing the right clothes and listening to the right music. Yeah. And I'm missing out, you know. I had to go thro- get thrown to Minnesota before I really got that. Mm-hmm. That These Midwestern people that I thought were so, oh shucks, were like really awesome. Yeah. You know? And so you have referred to going to Minnesota a number of times. Yeah. What, what took you there? I went there to go to rehab. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I kind of knew that was a thing you had going. I just didn't piece the two things together. Yeah, that's right. that's their uh, big like cottage industry up there, like the, between Minneapolis and St. Paul. Like, it's almost like here with VCU. Yeah. Like they go to Hazelton, which is like the college. All right, it's a rehab college. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's like a big campus like that. Yeah, I didn't oh. go to Hazelden. I went to like a smaller uh, spinoff uh, kind of thing that was a different thing and isn't medical or yeah. whatever. It's more like a sleepaway camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody goes, people go there. Like uh-huh. um, you get a one-way ticket to Minnesota, as uh-huh. uh, Christopher says on The Sopranos uh-huh. one time. And then you get there and you go, you do your 30 days and then they say, there's, you should not go home. You should go live in one of these houses. Uh-huh. And so everybody goes and lives in these houses and they're like, well, this is a lot easier than going home and explaining everything to the people uh-huh. I left. So they just stay there. So there's this huge, it's like the way art students wind up living in the fan in Oregon Hill. Uh-huh. All these people who are who recovery from alcohol and drugs are all live in mm-hmm. St. Paul. And mm-hmm. it's just full, it's this like concentrated community. When did that start evolving? When did that sort of start catching on? Was I don't know, man. You know, it's, I think part, there's a bunch of different reasons. I mean, there's Hazelden mm. exists as this flagship treatment center and they, mm. and their brand is all over. I mean, they're a brand and they're yeah. all over the country uh-huh. uh, and famous, very famous, like, you know, rock stars and artists and musicians and shit. I mean, actors and whatever, they go there. Um, there's that, but I think it's also that the St. Paul is a major, um, Catholic charity, refugee. I mean, they have all of this stuff set up for people who um, are like kind of fucked Mm -hmm. to kind of get reset up. And that applies to Somalians and Mm -hmm. it applies to the Hmong Mm -hmm. and it applies to all other kinds of immigrants and it applies to these other kinds of immigrants that are there to get sober. So it's a very, like, you can get on government types, all these different kinds of assistance. Oh, wow. How long were you there? Four years. Four years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew you had, like I said, I knew you had the rehab thing in the back there, and I mm-hmm. knew you had the Minnesota thing, and I didn't know that one was the other. You know yeah. What I mean? That was okay. why I went there, and it was the only time I moved somewhere um, unintentionally. Ah. Uh, like, I didn't mean to stay there. I meant to go there uh, for 30 days, and yeah. and just the, one thing led to another, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know what? I'm not making any plans. I'm going to let this thing mm-hmm. reveal itself. And yeah. I actually said, when it's time to go back to Richmond, they'll open a restaurant depot there. Because yeah. that's who I worked for. And oh, and then they did. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. 
<laughs> so what are you doing? Uh, you do this podcast. What other? What are your other creative outlets these days? Is this the big one? Or this is the main creative? I mean, uh. I'm, I got a couple of guitars around here. Mm. I've been wanting to get back into that, but um, mm. this you know, and I wanted to get to this about writing. Mm. I mean, you know, I set out to be a writer, and I mm. went to New York to be a writer, and I write things mm. in my head, but I am not into that process of the typewriter yeah. and the editing. I like just talking mm. and telling people my ideas and my stories, yeah. and um, that's good enough for me. And I yeah. really like what happens when I'm not planning it. Yeah. Like, that's really what I'm into creatively, yeah. is what happens um, just presents itself, mm. you know? And... Um, so for me, like when I record an intro for this podcast, I like to take Marin's approach to it and mm -hmm. just turn on the mic and start talking. Mm -hmm. And I have some idea what I'm going to say, but very frequently something comes out that has a beginning, a middle, and end. Yeah. And and, and I ended up re revealing something to myself I didn't even know I was thinking about. Yeah. And that's it. That's what I'm into. Like that's, that's why cool. I like art. That's why I like to play music. Uh -huh is what it, what appears when you put the brush in your hand or the pick in your hand or whatever. Mm. I'm I don't personally enjoy the perfecting. Mm. I'm more of a Dionysian ecstasy-based um creative yeah. than an Apollonian who like to get that fucking perfect statue done. Yeah. Know? Well, I think for I think for me I like to I exist somewhere in the middle because I like the stuff that spills out. But it's kind of for 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 where I'm at right now. Like my my sort of goal, right, is that I have these stories that I've been doing for years, and I feel like I've gotten to where I know what they are. I can play with them. I can have fun. I'm learning how to roll them out. Like it sounds like I'm just coming up with it. Right. I'm not. Right. And um, when. But they came out of me talking to somebody like you or mm -hmm. friends at the bar or, or at home or whatever. And I realized, holy shit, I keep repeating this. Let me write it down. And then I learned the, you know, started going to the moth and I learned that structure. And then you start really honing it. I'm like, okay, I say this. Or I like to say this or this is important to me. Why? How can I rearrange it? And then, so the edit happens... It happens at home. It happens in the chair behind the desk. But then there's the going out and saying it again and seeing, does it get better? Does the reaction get bigger? Mm -hmm. Does it does it hit more? And then you're so you're kind of always moving it through this rock tumbler. Yeah. So it starts out. It comes from a. It's funny. The rock tumbler thing is it was an analogy someone used for rehab. Oh really? Right there. Yeah. Well, you're just bouncing off each other and polishing. And you come out polished. Hey, yeah. there you go. But yeah, it's the same. I mean. So you're kind of working on it night by night or, or day by day or st performance by performance. And what I the reason that New York is working for me very well right now is that I can go to do two or three open mics a night. So I can come up with something in the morning. And what I like now is get up in the morning and I turn the internet off and I just come up with stuff or just mm -hmm. write. Mm -hmm. And it's either I'm writing jokes based on the headlines or... I have a story and I'm like, oh, there was an opportunity in there for something else or what's going on there. Let's pull that out, sharpen it, whatever. And then at night I just go out and I get my five minutes of stage time next to some weird homeless guy or right. some 23-year-old that only talks about his dick. Right. And then I do it, see how it works, write it down, get on the subway, go to the other one, and then you know, yeah. just keep doing it. So that you get, and I really like that process because it feels very organic and it, when it emerges, it can emerge quite smoothly. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I did, 
I got to experience this playing music in a uh, band. You know, yeah. you rehearse a song and rehearse a song mm-hmm. until you you know you guys are all on the same page, and then you get a different reaction out of different audiences. Yeah, and all of that. And honestly, I mean, I'm asking you these questions because I I feel very compelled to do stand up myself yeah. at this point. And yeah. one of the reasons I want to do it is what you're talking about yeah. that. It's getting this reaction, mm-hmm. you know, and but it's also the it's abject fear oh, that yeah. I would love to conquer, like jumping out of an airplane. Uh-huh. Like, can I get up in front of people and 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 a make them laugh? But I also want to impart some things, yeah. you know, that you know they take get them unawares because they're they're laughing and then get to say some of that Bill Hicks type shit that mm-hmm. I feel like I've come across. I've realized, you know, peeking through the illusion. Yeah. Or whatever. So, like, I want to do it. I haven't done it yet, but I've been flirting with it. Like, Morgan uh, is connected to people who have done stand up, and I've gone to Ray Bullock's uh-huh. thing. Do you know him? He does the 955 Club here. So, he, uh. he he's kind of like you for Richmond, except he yeah. just sets up comedy stuff. Yeah. He moves around. He does it down at Bottoms Up. Uh-huh. Um, and I went and saw it, and, and I was like, you know what? I, I should just, I'm just going to get up. I've actually written jokes and written yeah. stand up for well, it, but. All you can do is do it. Yeah. And uh, there, you, there's no substitute, and there's no like, you, you just got to jump out of the fucking plane, mm-hmm. and it's scary, and it's never not scary. Yeah. And, and the thing is to remember is that you'll never conquer that fear. But that's there's what's no, so awesome because, yeah. to me right now, fear is my best friend. Yeah. Because that's the the stuff that I'm afraid of is obviously a place that I need to grow you know yeah. and like when i go through fear mm. every time there's some part of me that gets calmer yeah there's this part of me that gets more like serene with the fucking universe uh-huh. it's like see that thing you were so afraid of that you were never in peril one yeah. one second up there you're not jumping out of an airplane mm. you're taking your ego up there yeah yeah you know if people don't like it, all that's getting hurt is your ego. Yeah. And and, and mo- all of the spiritual traditions of the world are saying that's your worst enemy mm-hmm. is your ego. It's like that's the thing that's making suffering. That's the yeah. thing that's making you unhappy. So the more you get that, like, polished, <laughs> yeah. you know, the more that goes into the rock tumbler, you know. Yeah. I think that's what, I, what I'm interested in, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's, you're right, but on the flip side, I got my ego polished pretty good last night, and I feel pretty good today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it for was, sure. last night's show was so fun for me because... Was that here? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. at um, the Coalition Theater on Broad, mm-hmm. and I got to do more time than I've ever done on stage mm-hmm. before, because I've only ever had 10 minutes, mm-hmm. and... Um, and how much did you have last night? Well, I was given 30 and ended up going for 50. Wow. And that's not a good habit to get in because like there's a, you know, this, this is a forgiving, the space is very forgiving. The crowd right. is into it, but whatever. But you know, when you're doing a professional show, like they need you to get out of there. So sure. The it's a schedule. Take mm-hmm. time. And those guys else. are like that there yeah. too, but they yeah. gave you, you know, big shot, gave you some time. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was nice <laughs> to feel like to get the, that treatment because you know, after just, you know, years of getting your ass handed to you it's nice to go somewhere and be and get a little get a little credit you know but, but see this is the thing yeah and, and this is the thing about new york versus the rest of the world uh-huh. is that a certain amount of what you get out of new york mm-hmm. is necessary yeah but it's also fucking awesome to go to the rest of the goddamn world of which richmond is a great example yeah and let people experience what you've been doing that yeah. aren't jaded yeah. that aren't 
so-called professionals that are, mm-hmm. are have everything down to yeah. this these five minutes are costing somebody yeah. something yeah and, and these people can relax and say you know there's we have time yeah we can enjoy this we can listen oh it was so good you know? it just felt good i mean i like i mean it really felt like coming home not just because this had been my home and i these are old friends i mean half the audience was a friend of mine, yeah. you know, and and it was like having a party where nobody else was allowed to talk. Was this a connected to j- hang out with Jeff at Pasture? Is that yeah. yeah? Well, I'm doing the hangout tonight, and the oh, show tonight. was last night. So, yeah, if you're if you're free, come. Get I might drop room. by. We're going to see a play at the oh. uh, other theater down yeah, there. Okay. What do they, what do they call the Empire Theater now? Yeah, it's something, but uh, the National. And we'll drop by. No, it's no, it's called. Um, I don't know. Anyway. But it's, you know, the old Empire Theater. Yeah. yeah. There's a bunch of different theaters that yeah. do shows in that building. So, okay. And that's a block or two from Pasture. So yeah, but, but, but it also just felt like artistically like coming home because, look, when you're competitive at the Moth, you zone in on the competition. And look, trying to win a story competition will make you a better storyteller. But there are many ways to be very good that don't have to do with winning, and you have to learn how to separate yeah. the two. You know, and I was, man, I look, I'm competitive, and I get grouchy, and I hate it when I see lazy art get rewarded. Right. But I've had to work real hard, and I'm not saying I'm done doing this work either, at like separating it and be like, hey, that's not you, that's not about you, that's just the world, and like you got to take it if you want to be in it. And New York you know, is one of those places that's concentrated competition down to a thing in and of itself. Yeah, we you know? just have other people. And I just naturally, like I rise right to it or sink mm-hmm. right to it, depending on how. And uh, it made me get better because it made me work. It made me do the work. But then you have to be at a point where you're like, I, I believe in myself and I believe in the work that I'm doing enough that this may not this is not, there's not a one-to-one correlation between first place and the best. Right. There's different kinds of great, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and one of the greatest things I think is, is recognizing that yeah. you have to please yourself with what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Too. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't always be chasing the external gratification and the, and the, and the, uh, what's the other word? Affirmation. Yeah. You know, well, the stuff that everybody knows me for, like from this American life and the moth or whatever, that was in 2009 and 2010. Yeah. It's been a long time. And I have not been sitting in my room. Like I'll ride that tiny pony until I get something else. But, mm-hmm. um, I haven't been just sitting there playing video games yeah. You know, like I've been working, working mm-hmm. and working. And now I'm just like, well, uh, I should put my, I should compete or, you know, push for stuff and try to get stuff. But I also need to have the faith that it's going to be okay and it'll come. Yeah. You know, like I, it was, that was some very much needed encouragement at a time when I was pretty new to it. Mm-hmm. And now I just got to keep doing you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah so yeah but it's been a long time and sometimes i beat myself up and it's like what have you done lately what are mm-hmm. your credits now what are your credits now and i gotta be like well i don't know so i'm gonna like i mean i just left my job a couple of weeks ago and now i'm just gonna treat doing this like it's my job for mm-hmm. a while and see what comes you know and you you grew up in norfolk is that yeah, right yeah, yeah. And well, how, how did you end up in Richmond? Did you come here to go to VCU? No, I went to JMU. Oh, you did? And I graduated. A lot of my friends from JMU were moving here. Mm-hmm. And I was scared, man. I was scared to go to New York. I was scared of LA and San Francisco, like the cities where the cool stuff I really liked happened right. came from. I was scared of it. Yeah. And I thought, well, 
and that fear also masked itself in a, um in like a, oh they're not so great there's plenty of great going on right here which there is but i was saying that for the wrong reason and um uh you know i was like well well there's great bands from here and also you grew up in norfolk when you grow up in virginia nobody tells you like there's a huge world outside of virginia right. like i didn't know until i moved to new york in my 30s that this ivy league shit was a big deal mm-hmm. like I, all i ever heard about was uva v uh, right, uva right. tech and william and mary right and i was like oh yeah he went to yale so you know right. and and uh or harvard or something yeah like yeah so and is that are you talking about with like writers and stuff who well writers who just general like education or uh-huh. whatever even with like stupid like online dating stuff you know what i mean people try to like front their education and i'm just like i don't care about any of that shit like right I mean, I, I, I'm just so sick of hearing about UVA at this point. It's, I don't care. <laughs> so, you know, when I came when I came here, I was scared. It was accessible here. I felt like I could get, you know, a job, and which I sort of did. Or and I stay. I was here for five years, and really, I should have been here for two. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for me, I, I just got scared and I got a little complacent because it is easy when your rent's 175 well, that, bucks a month. That is the you thing. Know, you, know? you know, look if you are motivated. Yeah. You can do anything here that you want to. Yeah. The thing is, is that it is easier not to be motivated because you can get by. It's, you can yeah. get by like yeah. and live well. Like mm. I, this fucking huge house I'm living in is seven hundred dollars. Yeah. You know, and um, without my own personal motivation, I could get a couple roommates in this mm-hmm. thing and be paying nothing. Yeah. And I could just you know whatever flatline there and. Mm. I don't like my sister comes back and a lot of people come back here and they judge all over that stuff. And like, I'm not doing that because on the one hand, isn't it ultimately a part of the entire like journey to get to where you're cool with shit mm. and like be an ascetic and live in a hut, you know, yeah. like that's part of the whole Siddhartha thing or the, you know, mm. the whatever. But in New York, you know, I got really motivated to do shit that I had never done here because mm. I, all these other people were doing it. And there was no culture of acceptance for yeah. people who weren't doing shit. And like, you can't get laid, and you can't like, <laughs> you meet a girl at a party. She, the first first fucking question is, what do you do? Yeah, you or, know, or where'd you go to school? Yeah, and if you, if you don't have a good answer for that, mm. you're not getting laid. Whereas in Richmond, you can, you know, she can say, um, you know, what are you drinking? And yeah. like, you know, you you have a beer together and bomb chicka wow wow. You know? Yeah, well, I, that wasn't my experience, but I, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I've struggled here. You know, in some ways I felt like I've moved to an island, uh, a tiny island where my powers were like with it with it with a different color sun. Mm. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. oh my god, I'm a regular motherfucker in a red sun, but this place is a yellow one. I can fly around and talk to ladies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, I do know what it, you mean. In my yeah. experience, that's everywhere you move that you're not you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. You haven't been gotten in the in their game. Yeah. Because you can have it I had it in Huntington Beach, California mm-hmm. and I had it in Minnesota mm-hmm. and I had it you can even have it Yeah. It, it's it's all about like you know, once you if you're from a place and you're you know, like Norfolk, you know the you know the deal. Yeah. And you take a lot of shit for granted and then you go someplace else and you don't know that deal. Yeah. Yeah, well Norfolk, that's a whole other thing. Hey, what's the worst job you ever had? Um I think it was Restaurant Depot. Really? Starting out there, yeah. Absolute what, what, worst job. What, what made it worst? Bad? 
Well, um, th- there was no recognition of human value. Or <laughs> like, you really were fucking chattel. Yeah. Like, throw you at a job. Uh-huh. Don't train you. You're nobody. Mm. They don't want to hear anything from me about how this job could be done mm. better. Mm. Like, just get your ass out there and work your fucking ass off. What were you doing? I, at first, I was cashiering mm-hmm. there, and then I was uh, unloading pallets. And, um, mm. I mean, just working physically mm-hmm. all day long and there was no and i was you know maybe this wouldn't be bad for everybody but there was i had gotten to the point mm-hmm. uh, and i was 38 years old and i started mm-hmm. working there that mm-hmm. i was good at accepting a job like that and then getting in the door and saying watch me do this now check it out i am smarter than this i mm-hmm. can do some other things and i get a promotion mm-hmm. and that just never like it took like years in that place for yeah. you know for that thing to open up yeah. and then i started to say you know i need to actually learn this humility but mm-hmm. it was worst job physically discomfort phys- mm-hmm. um unhappy people mm-hmm. whatever why do you ask what about you what was your worst oh uh, my worst job they were most of them were here um <laughs> i worked as a gingerbread boy uh in a children's theater production you mean you were dressed up as a gingerbread boy yeah uh-huh. touring children's theater company and every time i come to richmond around christmas i always think of it because it was just a hellacious yeah, uh, I got real sick all the time. Um, Why? What was making you sick? The kids. Oh right, because you're around all these little incubators. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my Petri god, dishes. I just got like India sick, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and just you know, ugh. that was bad news. And then um, I worked when I when I lived in Australia, I pitched a story to Vice magazine, and then they bought it. So I worked as a kangaroo shooter's assistant for about a week. A kangaroo shooter's assistant. Yeah. You like, and you did that where? In Australia. In Australia. <laughs> in the Bronx. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. In Australia. Well, that was just such an incredible shift. I was like, <laughs> is there something I don't know about Richmond? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kangaroos here. Yeah, they hate it when you go to the zoo in Richmond and do it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked with this guy, and we drove around the outback, and um, he would he was in his sixties, and he'd been shooting kangaroo for meat since he was nine, and um. He had a 22 rifle, and you'd shoot him in the head, and I would have to go drag them up to the truck. And then we'd field dress them, at, like chop their heads off and paws and stuff, and hang them from a meat hook. And then just drive around the outback at night until dawn and put them in this diesel-powered meat locker and sleep in this tin shed on cots. How did you even know that was the? What made that be the thing? Did you just pick something at random? I saw a guy on a trip who had a baby kangaroo that was sleeping in a pillowcase on the back of his car, and he was just driving around Australia. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Yeah, he'd worked with a roo shooter, and like you have to kill them. Like if they're below a certain size, you've got to kill them right there because you've just killed their mom, and um, they'll go off and starve. Right. But if they're above a certain size, another mom will adopt them as long as she doesn't have to nurse them and what are you killing them for meat uh-huh it's uh, not culling it's not because there's so many guys it's both okay they're because like it's a it's a symbiotic you know right. they, they're culling them because they're like deer times a million right and people eat kangaroo meat and you also when you go to the grocery store there's roommate in the in the pet food aisle you feed it that's your a, dog. a typical thing up there yeah oh, it's down there yeah mm-hmm. so um you got to go get it. Doesn't volunteer. Doesn't just lie down on your plate. So mm-hmm. we went out. You go out after them, and you, they buy, and they and they have. So they issue a certain number of tags every year, and they based on like projections with uh, the land management and SPCA, and they they say, okay, 
this many tags go out. And so if you you have to shoot it through the head because, you know, the lead will screw up the body. And it's also mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you can't just go out and robocop it, you know. So and then if you turn in a clean carcass with a tag in it, you can sell it for X amount per pound. And that was this dude's one of this dude's jobs. And he was like a roofer, toughest, toughest person I've ever met in my life. And it was doing like I left Richmond actually to move to Australia. I lived in Australia for about a year, and I was like, I want to get as far away because I my parents live ninety minutes away. I could always drive home and do my laundry, mm-hmm. and they were would give me make work jobs at their family business like as a way like I was doing like bullshit and getting paid by them, you know, to make ends meet. And I was just like, I met a woman on the internet. Uh, in like 2003 before any through hot or not dot com uh-huh. before anybody would admit oh, that yeah. publicly and I've sold my drums and van and records and met her in person and you play drums yeah were you not, in a, not anymore but I did. were you in a band here yeah yeah what was the band we had a band called the stop motion skeletons I Ray, played the Thera- Ray Harryhausen kind of a yeah illusion. I played the theremin and the drums simultaneously um, I would wrap my sticks in aluminum tape and I had the theremin going through an echo pedal. Oh, uh-huh. like, ooh, like that while I could keep a beat and then do it like a psychedelic freak out on the theremin and then bring back the the music. And um, and then I played in a little like put together band with Eric Grotz and Scott um, Hudgens for a minute. What was that called? De Gringo Lod. Li- there's a Scott Hudgens one of these backup. Oh, I should you. check that out. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then I had a band with these two chickens that played toy pianos for a couple of shows. We played with the Ululating Mummies. At I remember something about that. Yeah. I don't, you know, that's really like now I'm really fascinated by these things that yeah. you're talking about. But yeah. when you were doing those things, yeah. all I cared about was like rock and roll with capital R, just like. Yeah, that's, that's why all I, I could appreciate. That's why Richmond sucked for me because that was <laughs> most of Richmond. Yeah. Not just you. Like, yeah, yeah I was just like, why? You got to have a fucking sleeve tattoo and a and a chain wallet and a pit bull with huge nuts to like get any respect around here. And I found that attitude to be as conservative as the civil war guys. Mm-hmm. The city's doing the same thing with the punk rock that it was doing with the civil war. Right. Just like well, waiting you, for it to rise again. Yeah. And here's you know? the thing is I, <laughs> and, I know, you know that now. Yeah. And like, but what I t- realize I don't give a shit about that finite yeah. group of people. Yeah. If they're not like, there are so many people in this town that are doing other things. Yeah. Why? Were I or you yeah. or other people yeah. focused with such a laser-like intensity on one audience? Oh, because you yeah. got you're trying to build your own identity, and yeah. when you don't know who you are, it's easier to just decide who you're not. Right, right. And um, but so I was just like, I want to get away from all of this. And I met this woman online, and I mean, we really like online fell in love, and and we're exchanging letters and talking on the phone, and so I flew to meet her in the Sydney airport, and it kind of worked out, and sort of, and I lived with her in Perth for nine months. And worked as like a under the table, like as a dishwasher and a furniture mover, kangaroo shooter, and sold you know stories. And like Vice magazine in Australia would pay illegally pay my girlfriend direct. They would direct deposit into her account for stuff. Oh right, because you're not even a citizen, so you can't. Yeah, so I was just an I was an illegal immigrant in Australia. And I lived by the beach for a while, and then I this just, was when 2003 to 04. 04, and uh-huh. where'd you go from there to? Well, I ran out of everything, and um, so I moved back in my mom's house in Norfolk, and like, was ma- and like was making pizzas down the street from my high school, mm. 
and like had watched people from high school come and be like, oh, so what have you been? And I was like, and I was like, like I'm making pizza. Like, no, 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 I just did this whole thing, you know. Right, like right, I'm not right. just making be. Ah, uh, fuck it. You want anchovies or what? You know, like. And uh, and like worked construction, like pouring concrete driveways, and then mm-hmm. started temping. And I got a job in D.C. and moved to D.C. and I was there for about three years. And my girlfriend from Australia lived with me for six months there. And that hit a that hit a wall real hard. She lived with you in D.C. Yeah, yeah she, and she like and well, she was an illegal alien in D.C. Right. And we were she sharing. was on the other foot, huh? Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, there was other stuff going on that and I'll preserve her dignity on that. But mm-hmm. those pressures will make anybody crack, much less people with some pretty pre-cracked personalities. Right. And um, so, you know, we flamed out real hard. And then I worked. I started blogging right when I back got back from Australia. And I got myself fired from my job in D.C., like doing business banking research. And at that point, I was just like so happy to be indoors. How'd you get yourself fired? Well, I just didn't do my job for a long time. And I was bad at it. Isn't that amazing? You can get away with that in Oh, in any office, man. Yeah. You just, just, you just, and that's all that corporate America is. Getting find, 40 grand a year to fuck around on Facebook and yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Find a niche and exploit it. You mm-hmm. like become a barnacle on the ship mm-hmm. and just hang on until you get scraped mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Like I was, because I was supposed to research about the business practices of banks that lend money to other businesses. So you're like George Costanza. They finally figure out there's nothing in this report and you haven't done anything. What have you been doing for the last uh, so many years? Yeah, working on my blog. <laughs> Actually. And like that's when blogs were coming out and I was learning how to get traffic. And I was getting linked on like Boing Boing or Instapart right. or whatever mm-hmm. and having the joy of like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my ex and I snuck into the first Iraqi expat elections. She used her Aussie accent and willpower to get us through the press booth. Wow. And so it was like CBS, CNN, NBC, my blog. Like, and wow. I have these pictures of like the women in the Shadors, like voting and the, you know, the purple fingers and wow. wrote about it and it got picked up, you know, and it went around and, 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 uh, so then when I got sacked and I got really, I was poorly managed at that place anyway, cause I was 10 years older than everybody else that was working there. And they were all like fresh out of like Harvard or, mm-hmm. or Georgetown or whatever. And they were still like go to lunch in packs. Like it was, you know what I mean? And it was like very college part two like my first job and i was like you little shits like i just got done butchering animals in the mm-hmm. outback mm-hmm. and you little shits are trying to talk about well, that, where we're going to play flip cup you know and, what i mean and that is the fucking crazy yeah. sick thing i mean mm-hmm. the company that i work for now i have a certain amount of affection for it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. faith in it um it is one of the worst sort of like exploiters I mean, that's one of the ways they keep their prices down. And yeah. like, I mean, my job now is field marketing representative. Yeah. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot by saying this, but um, I was having a long conversation with one of the guys who's really a corporate yeah. dude and close, very close to the um, source. Yeah. And he, he was down here and he's been observing what goes on in the stores. And I'm like, you know, your biggest problem is that you don't, the people who work here don't care because you don't care about them. Uh-huh. Like, that's the biggest thing to surmount but he has no empathy for that because he's never been in that situation and there are so goddamn many people in this country that have just skated by and never been in that situation and never really had to work for a living yeah well they have some management degree I was one of them yeah yeah you get some management degree or something and they're like go from one management job to the next and it's just like 
moving line items on a spreadsheet mm-hmm. versus like, no, you dug the damn ditch, you know? And, uh, yeah. So all these little soft handed little, little, uh, children, you know, and one of them managed me and she was like this really passive aggressive 24 year old girl mm-hmm. who just was trying to figure herself out. And right. We're never going to, and, and English was not her first language. Mm. And, um, and I'm me and I, I've learned recently that I come across as imposing or intimidating to other mm. people. Um, that I believe we share in that struggle, <laughs> but, but, uh, or yeah. asshole. Yeah. Right. Well, whatever. <laughs> but, um, what do you mean? Whatever. Call it what you want. Uh, <laughs> but you know, so I'm just here and I, and I was just like, she would be like, you need to have this report. It's really important. Uh-huh. I was just like, is it really important? You know? And so when I got let go, I ended up getting hired by AOL less than a month later for like 50% more money than I was making to do something I had been doing in my free time anyway. Yeah. And I worked at AOL for about a year managing their online communities. Mm -hmm. And um, I managed AOL's gay and lesbian community. um, Nice. Despite not being explicitly qualified. I mean, I'm not scared of it. (laughs) I I had opportunities that I did not take. You look like you've been hanging out in Chelsea right now with the shaved head and the leather jacket, man. What's up? I mean, whatever. I'm not... It probably won't happen, but I won't hate myself if it does. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It's all right. I, yeah. I see. I'm completely neutral when it yeah. comes to this. This is, um, I, you know, I was just thinking. I really appreciated how you uh, shifted gears and asked me a question a little while ago because, yeah. um, you know, I've gotten into these, um, uh, you know, sort of these ruts of mm-hmm. talking about stuff and yeah. i actually liked that even though you're wearing sunglasses i could see you were getting bored yeah and like didn't oh, really? want to talk about this yeah and uh <laughs> but like i was like let's see if he'll change the subject you know yeah because i mean this is a conversation yeah. i'm not yeah. i'm not really trying to take control oh i left it, my regular glasses in the car by mistake so i'm not trying to like rock and roll are those your shooting glasses these are my just sunglasses my dad's going blind mm-hmm. uh, he's almost blind and it starts early Mm-hmm. Are those for prescription yeah. too? They look thick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really anal about protecting my eyes, mm-hmm. and I wear my sunglasses. And but then forgetful. So like I put the sunglasses on, and then I left my my regular glasses in the trunk. Yeah, you know, I I, I could talk about the difference between New York and Richmond all day, but ultimately it's what works for me or you. Sure. You know what I mean? Well, and, it, and I also like to ask your question because like, I feel like you and I have existed, like we've been comets in asynchronous orbit for right. a very long time. Right. And every time our orbit lines up, I really enjoy it. And then it's like seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, let me get to know you in as much time as I can. And then I'll catch you on our next trip. Oh well, yeah. And you know, I don't feel like, cause I don't, I ain't talking about Richmond in New yeah, York. Yeah. yeah I'm no. talking about your attitude yeah. and like, I recognize it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not trying to say that like I have evolved past yeah. it, but it's, I remember feeling like you feel yeah. and there is, it, there's no uh, qualitative no, well, that's thing fine. about it. It's just like, I'm marveling at, you know, I see it from this totally different angle now. Mm-hmm. Like, and part of that is my like recovery story, Oh yeah. you know, cause a lot of what drove me to behave the way I behaved uh-huh. was this unquenchable thirst for something uh-huh. um, that had to do with my, you know, my sense of self and how yeah. I needed that to be affirmed by an audience, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And like, I'm really working on, you know, this, like doing things because it means something to me and, and trying to find a core set of values, yeah. you know, and like, that's what I'm operating from. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter if Chris Bopes digs it or, yeah. you know, or Jayon or yeah. anybody else. And that used to really matter to me a lot, mm-hmm. you know, like ridiculously to a paranoid mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. Like, and like, I'm like, I'm really like 
totally like audience of one kind of thing. Yeah, like yeah. you used the word faith a while ago, and it's like this faith that I am as authorized uh-huh. to put something out there regardless of how many people dig it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have any, I have a vague idea that 25 to 30 to 50 mm. people might check out one of these podcasts. Mm. I also can look at my Google analytics and mm. see various shit. But what, what I really dig is when one person says they heard something they relate to mm. on there. And like, that's what's motivating me now. And this might be a phase or yeah. whatever, but like, it can be that way because nobody's paid for a ticket right. to this. Right, right, right. Like, uh, and it doesn't cost me anything. Yeah. So this is what I love about it. You know, I just throw this shit together mm-hmm. and I put it out there and you listen to it, you don't listen to it. I don't owe you anything. Yeah. You don't owe me anything. And um, that's cool, you know, yeah. for me. Well, chasing traffic too, like on the internet is a... It's just like trying to win a story competition sure. or a battle of the bands that's or right. sell records. It's like... Doing it will make you get good to a point, and then it'll make you insane, and then you'll be chasing. Them. And I was getting there. Yeah. And and I like I had set it up. People were giving me money just to do this podcast. Oh really? Yeah. Like I went to talk to Jason Alley, and he yeah. gave me some money to yeah. do a little live read in the beginning, and mm-hmm. and um and I, and I realized that every time I went to talk to one of these guys, they were working very hard. Mm-hmm. Like they Jason was making pasta in the basement of comfort, sweating, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I'm asking him for money, and I'm showing him my Google Analytics, uh-huh. and I'm like, this is not hard work, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm like turning on a microphone and doing what comes naturally to me, mm-hmm. and then I sit down for an hour or two, and I post it, and I'm asking this guy to give me money, mm-hmm. and then I realize I got to go back to work to support this yeah. thing. And I went back to Re- Restaurant Depot because I was getting crazy thinking about the... Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't sell this if people aren't listening to it. I'm like, that isn't why I started doing this, to sell it. You know, mm-hmm. I started doing it because I really wanted to talk to people and get to know yeah. them because I used to be such this... I just walked all over all of these other people out yeah. there. You know, and like... I didn't give a shit about you. Yeah. I, I didn't give a shit about anybody else unless they oh, were getting, you know. I didn't give a shit about you either. So where are you? Right. About? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I did and I yeah. didn't. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm talking pathologically, no, not I know intentionally. Yeah. Like, I all I cared about is how I felt about stuff. Yeah. So, this, so like, I now say, hey, if I want to be creative, mm-hmm. I have a, there's a great equalizer out here. Anybody can listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, I don't need to get on with, or, with anybody to broadcast mm-hmm. this or anything else. Uh-huh. So, I'm going to go work. I'm going to have a job, so there's no pressure on this podcast yeah. to be anything but that. Yeah. There's, all it is is me talking to you, and I really wish we had more than an hour, but the, you know, when I go over an hour and a half, like i got to reduce the bit rate so much that it sounds like shit when yeah. I put it up there. But there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and you yeah, got to go, right? Yeah, yeah i got to meet some... my, my guys. But you know, I'll be around this evening. Or uh, Are you going to be in Virginia Beach? Do you have family down there this I don't know. I was just down there in Newport News and Virginia Beach because the, there's a restaurant depot there, oh, and I was training as an FMR. Oh. I met this girl named Alicia who used to be married to a guy named Ryan Stoner. Do you know him? No. He's been in bands down there. You remember Combine? Yeah. Well, he was in that band. Okay. But I just spent the day riding around with this girl from Norfolk, like talking about Norfolk and, and mm-hmm. riding around Virginia Beach and Newport News. Did you record it? No, man. It was just work. It was just yeah. me being trained for yeah. to be an FMR because my job now is to ride around and spread the gospel of restaurant depot mm-hmm. so i'm kind of like a traveling salesman except mm-hmm. nobody has to give me any money they just have to show up at the store huh you know and shop and and if they show up at the store after i visited then then i get credit huh. for it interesting 
Yeah, it's we'll see how that goes. Well, there's something to be said, man. Like, I mean, I I, I admire the purity. I like the purity of concept in doing it because you like you're feeling it or believing in it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, like I guess you know, there's no there's no one like real answer for making anything good or living your life good or anything. But uh, I really value the time that I've been competitive about being creative because it did make me think about what does an audience want? Cause I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't want an audience. And right. so, so I have a responsibility to an audience to engage their time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. to make them feel like that they, they did not waste their time and they want to come back, mm-hmm. you know? And there, you know, I could talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, there's been stuff I've been trying to talk about that nobody just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had this revelatory spiritual explosion one time and, I felt like I don't know I don't know if I got touched by God or kidnapped by aliens or whatever. And whenever I talk about it, people are on stage. They're like, "Uh huh." Yeah, but there's probably one person in the back of that yeah. room that has has had an experience like yeah. that, is afraid to talk about it. Yeah, and you gotta, and that's the whole other thing that you're doing yeah. this human sacrifice yeah. by being on stage. And yeah. maybe Liza and I talked about this. Like, yeah. you're giving people permission to speak. Yeah, you know, and we have a culture set up where it's like. You're supposed to, you know, the cult of personality thing. Only mm-hmm. one guy, mm-hmm. whether it's Jesus or like the president or whatever, knows what's going on, and you got to listen to them and do what they say. Yeah. And yet we supposedly live in this democracy where mm. all of our voices count, but we self-edit and we don't. Yeah. And so, like, you may not get the laughs, but there's other thing happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's what's great about storytelling yeah. is you don't have to go for the laughs. You can just tell the story. But even when I just tell the story, uh, you know, it's not the thing that people talk about later. So but yeah, but what about? I'm not saying it's not valuable. I just right. gotta, I just haven't figured out how to make it valuable. And, and there's yeah. nothing fucking look, to other people. But that's the thing, right? Like, man, I, I I'm coming up to a different attitude about yeah. audiences. Yeah. And like, I don't know who really said this, but it's attributed to Nelson Mandela. And I know he didn't actually say it, but yeah. it's like, who are you not to shine? You know, and bring yeah. your fucking yeah. thing and give it, and like, you know, do your part and like, and not be super like. Yeah convinced of or attached to what happens when you do mm-hmm. it and you have to make a living so i removed that as a concern yeah. by t- by taking the day job yeah yeah because it is a spiritual thing for me and i've yeah. had a spiritual revelation that is i am just a guy yeah, yeah you know and i am no more or less important than anybody else mm-hmm. and like when i listen to people mm-hmm. be vulnerable on podcasts and shit or yeah. doing stand-up i feel like i've been released from this this isolation that you know supposedly we all exist in you know uh-huh. every man lives and dies alone that can't yeah thing but that's not true we're all having extremely similar experiences but we don't we're not honest with each other about them so we all think i'm the only one that feels like this or i'm the only one that's struggling this hard to do this thing or yeah. whatever and so the big thing i'm putting out there by not editing this or whatever is like anybody has right you know uh-huh. is authorized it only gets cold when we're talking like people are spending big money on it you know yeah. like shut that guy from duck dynasty up because he's make his pulpit is somebody else's fucking brand and if right. he's fucking their brand goodbye right you know but like if i'm the only one supporting this i can say whatever i want mm-hmm. you are free to say whatever you want yeah. but nobody's gonna pay you to do it or right whatever so yeah. when we and new york's about money and yeah. you know dc's about power new york's about money you live in new york you've got to be about money or mm. you're fucked Mm-hmm. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Like, but like, I don't live there. I live here, so I don't have to, yeah. you know, do that. But I had it easy when I was there. 
Yeah. I paid three hundred and fifty dollars a month to live in the East Village. Jesus. You know, I had a rent stabilized apartment. My experience in New York wasn't any harder than living in Richmond. Yeah. But I felt shamed into action by all the people that were mm-hmm. my age that were getting busy around me. Mm-hmm. And, and that is something really valuable about that place. Yeah. Well, like, that's the other thing is that like sh- <laughs> the editing and shame and keep that to yourself and get rid of that. It's also good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, there's something. The flip side of it is, is like, should you really indulge every idea that you have? Should should everything really be expressed? Like, and I'm learning this. I mean, I just got married in June, and like. And you know, there's it's congratulations. Not, thank you. By the way, it's not uh, it's not like oh, that's done. Set it and forget it. Check you out in 40 years. It's more like man, it just makes me feel more opened up and vulnerable and invested than I have been in anything else, because I care so much about this person mm-hmm. and what she thinks of me is so important too. That I'm just like I'm constantly maintaining it. How are you doing? Are you all right? Let me spend the time. Let me listen and. Uh, and so there are things, you know, there are things that I think about her sometimes in a weak moment or things she may think about me when right. she's tired and hungry. Maybe just go ahead and don't. Don't you know? say that. Yeah. Don't say, just, shut the fuck up. God damn it. I hate those pajamas or like whatever. Like mm-hmm. you just because what do you, what is to be gained? You know, nothing. You just indulged your little feelings. So, so that when I think about, you know, edit self editing and doing, giving an audience what they want, or at least it's not giving them what they want. Like, like right, right. You know, but it's more like, uh, they want, but it's more like, my God, you're so lucky it's like to be accepted by somebody for doing what it is that you do that makes your heart happy is the luckiest thing in the world. Even if you only do it once or if you get to be a, you know, a touring. Whatever, well, it is an all. incredible feeling of validation, but yeah. I don't think it's luck. I think it's like you have to make yeah, the choice yeah. and put yourself out there and you're yeah. a very hardworking dude. And yeah. this is a, a recurring theme for the month is yeah. like. You know, Bobby Gorman was on here, and I haven't posted this yeah. yet, but he was downplaying his Guar trajectory, uh-huh. his luck all the time. And I'm like, dude, you started working on this very hard at yeah. oh, a very yeah. early age. Yeah, but you make the luck. Yeah, well, you, totally. There's plenty of people that work really hard and don't because they don't have – because I like – Where's that? Yeah, they're like – They just don't – right. It doesn't – working hard doesn't yield the result that they demanded of that hard work. Exactly. You know? Like – like I could train. Look, if I were to train every day, like what's his nuts, the swimmer. Yeah. I ain't gonna get a gold medal. Right. You know, there's just people for whom it's not. Right. And and they gotta get. They gotta. You gotta manage your expectations downward, or or put your work upwards. And so it's like you gotta learn to love doing the work. And yeah. I just I feel validated. Like wow, I did that. Now I'm gonna go do that. So I feel, but I feel so lucky when the work that I told myself was worth doing was hard and shitty pays off in audience appreciation but I feel I feel great that way but I also feel like hey those people came I owe them the best that I can give them because otherwise because they could be doing something See, else I think they that's could a be very, with their families you know I, I'm really hung up on the semantics of yeah. the word luck because yeah. it's not luck uh-huh. it's faith in what you're doing yeah and one of the things another thing that I think mm. is is, it, is mm. problematic about our country yeah. is people think that it's like all about luck, you Uh know, not hard work, you know? And I was, I got a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. that other people don't get because I wasn't willing to work on them and I didn't appreciate them. I squandered them. I I worked at Spin Magazine. I had an internship there. fucking blew it off. Like, (laughs) I mean, I worked at Matador Records. I could be sitting pretty right Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. 
blew that the fuck off. Uh Like I was not willing to work hard. I was not willing to change Mm -hmm. my life. Um, I only wanted to do what I wanted to do. Mm. And no matter how many times I got an opportunity, I squandered it. Mm. And some people do get opportunities. But if you're not, if you don't have the right mentality, like about hard work mm. and about showing up and like whatever, it doesn't make any fucking difference what falls in your lap. You're going to lose it. You right. Know? Well, okay. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me change the semantics a little bit because okay. I think that, and stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth because you have, you've paved this road harder than I have. But, uh, you know, I think people talk about luck when they are uncomfortable talking about a higher power or uh-huh. something bigger than that. Yeah. And all I'm saying, I use the word luck as shorthand for a great gratitude for the fact that what I invested is paying off because yeah. there's no guarantee. Gratitude that, is a much better word. And yeah. I think that's what you're talking about too, yeah. is that you feel gratitude when you, mm-hmm. when you get, you do get to experience a payoff for what you yeah. do. And it's a gratitude in a force bigger than you that just, that just, that either consciously or not, because I don't know if that thing, if it's conscious, I don't know if it gives a shit about us, but it just sort of said, go ahead, buddy, get this one. Well, yeah, you but the, I, mean? I like, think the consciousness that yeah, yeah. that it has for me is yeah. the consciousness of the cells that divide in my body, mm-hmm. the way that there's an autonomic thing running that I don't have to be, yeah. I don't have to do anything, it's going, yeah. right? And what I feel like happens when an audience or a group of people mm-hmm. acknowledge and enjoy what I've done is that I found myself in a relatable place where I'm making something mm-hmm. more about the big mm-hmm. picture. Yeah. You know, and it's less about me and my petty ideas yeah. uh, and needs, you know, whatever. And to practice a an awareness of something bigger than myself mm-hmm. is to be of service to the people around me, you yeah. know, and so w- work on that. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. So when you're performing and, and it's like, wow, I sat in my room, I thought of this thing on the train and I wrote it down in my little notebook and I wrote it on index cards a hundred times and I refined it. And then I did it because I thought it, it, like I had only the voice inside me to guide me and I mm-hmm. did it. And God damn it, it connected and it worked. Mm-hmm. Or it sort of connected and I, I'm so thankful that I had a person in my life. I'm so thankful that I had Eliza Skinner in my life mm-hmm. to say, you shouldn't just be the guy in the bar doing this. Right. You should move to New York and do it, do it. So she was a, a she catalyst was there. Yeah, she was a total catalyst. She's the one that like started taking me to the moth. She's like, there's a thing called the moth. I'm going to take you there. We're going to go hang out. And then like, and then was just like, okay, go. Fly bird, you're out of the nest. Mm. Now you just do it. And I'm so grateful that I had a friend who was like, you have potential here. I'm going to nurture it. And I'm not going to shit on you when you're bad, on it, bad mm-hmm. at it because you're new. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, those, yes, I do because yeah. I, I had relationships with yeah. other men, yeah. you know, over the last five years that have been, mm-hmm. you know, helping me with that. Like, yeah. you know, stop being this narcissistic asshole mm-hmm. and be a, you know, decent human being and yeah. here's how, and I'm going to be accepting and tolerant of you when you fuck that up because yeah. that, you know, isn't how you're <laughs> wired right now. Yeah. Um, God, I, I really wanted to say something before you go and I'd kind of slipped away from me but um were we was it around gratitude yeah maybe it's got to do with gratitude i mean this is so many things kind of flooding in all at once mm-hmm. you know um about like you know this is deeper than it's gone in a while mm-hmm. you know um though liza and i talked about this kind of thing a fair amount that the accountability thing that you've uh-huh. got somebody in your life that's going to tell you when you're being an asshole uh-huh. or you know cares enough yeah. to, to help you hold a mirror up right and and all of that and, and i think it's like really important and is one of the reasons why i'm doing this i want people to listen to these podcasts and see that i 
I don't know what I'm doing and that mm. I'm not, I mean, I do know what I'm doing, but like, mm. I'm not going back and making myself sound good yeah, yeah, in this. Yeah. Like I can do that. I know yeah. how to do it. I can go back and put in some musical interludes mm. and splice this shit together mm. and take out stuff. And I did that once. I took out a bunch like Liz and I actually did a, um, a very candid thing where she interviewed me and we got into talking about like, you know, drug addiction and mm. all this kind of mm. stuff. And like, what did I do when I was out there? And mm. I very gamely like admitted it, mm. and then she called me up the next day, and she goes, "I don't think you should put that out there." Yeah. Like, I think, and and I went, you know, there is there's a level. Uh, I guess there's such a thing as too much information, mm. and it isn't really about me. It's about the other people that would be affected by knowing that, because I got yeah. nothing to hide. You right. Know? But right. I don't want my parents or anybody. <laughs> they don't need to know. About Nobody really needs to hear that. Sticks you sucked. Or the gore. Yeah. What? <laughs> 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 but uh, uh yes uh i mean whatever if you did it's fine work. but uh <laughs> no that's a whole other podcast but no, i'm just kidding what was like there was some there was, no, there was a thing oh yeah you know what but but on the other hand and i'm not like it's also just like oh i know what i was gonna say okay this is the christmas time right uh, i yeah. want to bring all this around to yeah. the gifts of the magi thing yeah. right I, and that actually is, they're arriving at the um, manger and whatever is mm-hmm. the 12th day of Christmas. Like mm-hmm. they're right now, they've started, well, they start walking on the 24th or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know. And this is bullshit really because yeah. the reason they're 12 days is because the old pagan right, uh, right. winter party. But mm-hmm. a major revelation for me about gifts mm-hmm. happened around thinking of that is that I always thought my gifts were my gifts. I got this for Christmas. Like yeah. I, you know, and, and Curtis is smart or maybe mm. could be a good writer or an actor, mm. musician, mm. whatever. Mm. And that's just, I'm mean, just entitled to that mm. glory mm. because mm. I've been given, I've been blessed. I've been chosen by mm. somebody with these talents. And when I started doing this just a year ago, I went, no, it's just the, the thing that I've been given to bring. Yeah. The thing that like, it is the gift that I have to give. You know, mm-hmm. and I have to just give it away. Mm-hmm. Like I gotta just come and give this thing. Yeah. I gotta show up. I I only know that I've been called to bring it. You know, yeah. and and I have will not attach to what happens after I bring it. Mm-hmm. I gotta give it away. How yeah. do you know when a gift's gone? When you've given a gift because it's gone. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm not gonna keep reeling it back in. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I'm practicing by being in a relationship with somebody I'm living with who isn't mm-hmm. my wife. Yeah. Is that I have to just really give shit to her mm-hmm. and not give her stuff and say, wait a minute, you didn't acknowledge this thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? And that's tough. Yeah. You know? Because, like, I, I mean, my girl, girlfriends have always been the biggest audience. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, like, hey, how she reflected me back to me right now. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And that's not what love is about, and that's not what a relationship is about. It's about two people, like, putting their things together. They're putting their, you know, chocolate and the peanut butter or, like, whatever, and making mm-hmm. something better than what they are individually. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and mm-hmm. I learned so much from my wife and continue to. Like, I have savings now. I never had that. She's an accountant wow. at the SEC, and... uh so she is like, I have savings and I have, and she's really helping me to figure out how I can live and just treat being creative like my job for a while. Like, what does that mean? What are we cutting? What are mm-hmm. we, what do we gain? What do we lose? What are the trade-offs? Right. Let's, what let's, are we investing? Let's, yeah. mm-hmm. and also let's sit down and have a big scary spreadsheet and then it's over and you know, mm-hmm. you know, 
and that's that's pretty cool and she's really learned how to do impersonations for me and like she's she speaks fluent mandarin as she's a white woman who speaks mandarin mm-hmm. and uh which means she's got a great ear for tone and diction and mm-hmm. cadence and everything. So through just telling stories to each other, mm-hmm. like she's she sees me having savings and being like, oh no, that's an unwise purchase, and I see her getting funnier and better mm-hmm. at telling mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. It's just so fun. Yeah, you know. She came in the house the other day and she was like, oh my god, I was on the subway, and uh, she said I saw this older African American man, like 65 maybe, in a rumpled tuxedo. He's like a little drunk going home. And all these people were barging around him and shoving him everywhere. And she said, he just sat up and he said, oh, motherfuckers just be champions at playing with their phones. Can't nobody listen to shit. Thank you and good night. And the only thing better than seeing that live was seeing my wife do it so flawlessly and like conjure that. And it just was so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I like. That's what I like. I like seeing, you know... I mean, I love that, that that in a relationship that you really you are mm-hmm. learning from somebody, and and also I I'm the one suggesting yeah. budgets and spreadsheets right yeah, now, and yeah. that is not anything that what came naturally yeah. to me, and I really see like we need to get money and all that bullshit uh-huh. into an objective space so it's not like an emotional issue yeah, for yeah. us, you know, it needs to be on a piece of paper, a two dimensional thing, yeah, like black yeah. and white, so that we're not it's not part of our whole exchange of value. Like you know, emotionally, um, mm-hmm. that's going on there because it's you know, it's uh, it doesn't have to be that. I mean, that's just tricky. You know, yeah. it starts to get into you, you make your relationship a spreadsheet. Yeah, you know, well, I've invested all of this in you. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta go. Right? Yeah, I gotta you, do you it. You said Sorry. you were gonna leave five minutes ago. Yeah, I know, but I enjoyed myself. So yeah, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, Here's one of these. Yeah. Good luck with everything. Maybe I'll see you tonight. All right. All right. Well, there you got it. Have it did it what it uh jeff zimmerman yeah that was cool i enjoyed talking to him um it's been taking me a little while to get my flow on and figure out what the hell i'm doing in this new house in this new space these conversations have been really long like i feel like they just start to pick up steam when they should be ending i really enjoyed that though i uh, really like jeff and i think it's super cool what he's doing and uh, i'm impressed that he's having the level of success that he is with what he's doing. And uh, next time we have Mr. Eric Roper, a very old friend of mine who has uh, been, I lived with in New York, and he uh, has been living up there ever since and applying his trade as an illustrator and an artist, artiste. Um, after that, um, I don't know, I'm going to try and do, i got a man, Sean Harris, coming into town. Trying to grab him and talking to some other people. I don't know what's really going to happen, but long about number 40, I found my old micro cassette of an interview I did with Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. It was recorded around the same time I did the Dave Windorf one in 2004, and it's, you know, a handheld tape recorder recording uh, telephone, you know. It's a little better. I think it. I don't think there are any interruptions like there were with the Dave Windorf one, but um, it's not going to sound great. But it's still cool. And <laughs> I mean, it's. I haven't listened to all of it yet, but um, I was certainly fawning over the guy. Who was at that time was really like my hero, and um, and I wasn't all that psyched about living in Southern California at that point and the conditions I was living in them. And I was largely to blame for that, but 
in any case, uh, be looking forward to that. It's going to be interesting. I'm probably going to post it around number 40, around the time I'm also going to get see Queens of Stone Age down in Raleigh because my wonderful girlfriend, Morgan, got me tickets after I had to miss the show in Richmond. So we're going to do a little road trip down there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace. Namaste. A motherfucker.